0: Welcome to Dads with Nerdy Ambitions, your go-to podcast for nerd culture in the 21st century. I'm your host, Steve Pugh, and with me always is my phenomenal, amazing, spectacular, uh, what other words can I use to boost your ego a little bit? Well-aged, vintage? That's, that's fine. That's fine, yeah. Yes. David Perry, as well I, as on the show. <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead and say what you're gonna say. Well, Thanks for
1: having me on again.
0: Yeah. Sweet is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as well as we are joined by the artists, the creators, the gurus of the uh, studio known as Unnatural 20 Art, Carl and Danny. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Much, much appreciated. Hey, no worries. Um, so as we always like to start on the show, it's we like to start with, uh, what have you been up to? So David, we this is actually this is the first episode we've recorded that's not dnd based uh for that you came back from drag well yeah no this episode is totally going to be about dnd stuff but like we do a dnd pod like side thing uh but this is the first one that we've done where you're not you you know f- for dnd that you haven't done both dragon con so how right. was dragon con good
1: sir dragon con was phenomenal as always um it was, it was scaled back. They cut back from, from what it usually is. Usually, they, I think last, well, in 2019, they had 89,000 people. They announced 89,000 people. And this year, they had just over 42,000 badges. Um, uh, they, there were COVID protocols in place. You had to have either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test to pick up your badge. Um, and a lot of people skipped it. Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends, some of whom are immunocompromised or they live with someone who is elderly or has comorbid conditions and didn't want to risk exposing uh, either themselves or a family member. They skipped DragonCon this year. Uh, but the folks that were there, uh, it was great. Um, I know some vendors from DragonCon and all of them said that the people that were there were spending money. Because they hadn't been able to do that for a year, so and I think we see that we see that a lot at trade shows and at fairs and a lot of other events now. Uh, Folks are they're spending money, they're buying things from vendors, um, which is good. Uh, And of course, the cosplay was just just amazing. Um, So that was real good. Uh, That was fun. Um, I got to see a lot of folks, some of whom I haven't seen since DragonCon two years ago. Uh, Shang Chi came out. Pardon. Did,
0: Did Dana make it?
1: I did not see Dana this year. Uh, um, I think, I think his wife might have some issues or he had uh, some family okay, stuff. Okay, okay, Um, how many lookies
0: were there, by the way,
1: there were a lot, we had a storm, the TVA. I, and I, I mentioned this, uh, the last time I was on, but the, the atrium of the Marriott Marquis in downtown Atlanta, which is one of the host hotels for dragon con is mm-hmm. where they filmed a lot of the interior shots of the TVA. And so. Uh, there was uh, a Storm the TVA event for Loki variants and uh, TVA agents and all sorts of of cosplayers from from the Loki show. Uh, And that was just a lot of fun. Um, There were, I don't know, there were probably 150 people that signed up and they were a good, that was the good lazy cosplay because all you have to do now (laughs) is put a pair of Loki horns on and all of a sudden you're a Loki variant. It doesn't matter what your costume is uh uh that happens and then um for the T-Rex herd that I lead we had about 50 people show up for that so yeah. so that was with 50 inflatable T-Rexes just parading <laughs> yeah, through say, the hotels. <laughs> yeah and th- th- those are always fun they they always draw a big laugh um my other favorite uh, uh inflatable T-Rex story is uh I was walking through the Hyatt this is a couple of years ago I was walking through the Hyatt and there were some there was a, a troop of Power Rangers who had some obviously choreographed show that they were putting on you know, hmm. uh, uh, choreographed moves and stuff. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an inflatable Godzilla and an inflatable T-Rex came in and crashed the Power Rangers show. And they had a mock fight that broke out right there. And th- it was just, it was hilarious. Uh, and that's just kind of the, the hijinks and the shenanigans that go on at Dragon Con. It's, it's
0: always fun. That's awesome. It's, it's great. Uh, you saw, did you see Chang
1: Chi yet? Yeah, so I've always is, been so this, on Asian.
0: <laughs> I, we, hey man, stereotypes. <laughs> I, 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 I try not to go there, man. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but this is the first Disney movie, uh, or rather Marvel movie that's been in theaters since COVID has happened. If I'm not mistaken, so once they started shutting down the hotel, is oh, there well. one? Well, I mean, if we count uh, their their beta tester was, uh, what was it, New Mutants? But that Black was still, Widow was in theaters. Black Widow, too. Though. Oh, Black, well, yeah. but this but, oh sorry, let me clarify. This is the only one that's solely with the exception yes. of New Mutants. Um, yes. So I apologize. Yes, I should have said that. Yes. yes. Um, you saw it in theaters. Yes. And mm-hmm. I, I'm jealous of you. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Uh, it
1: was good. I I, I don't know. I don't know if, if Danny or Carl, if you've seen Shang-Chi. I haven't yet, but it's definitely high on my list. Um, it it's one of those Marvel movies where they spent a lot of time on character which is uncharacteristic for some of the marvel movies and it, and it they did a really good job with it
0: um it, it looked I, like in the trailers like the after trailers like after it came out there you saw a lot of like uh asian folklore in it uh yes is shang chi chinese based
1: yes yeah it's there's a lot of chinese mythology and chinese yeah they
0: really did their. looks like they did their research with Um, it and everything they,
1: they did the cast was predominantly asian uh and the other thing that and this is one of my quirks that i really dislike about a lot some films is that in the in shang chi when they were in it when they were asian characters together they were speaking chinese and you had to read subtitles and in some movies, some mainstream movies where they think that audiences don't want to read subtitles. If you have two Chinese characters together, they'll be speaking English. And that's not for, for the sake of each other. It's for the sake of the, the audience. Uh, and I find that to be kind of patronizing personally. Uh, and, and, but this movie, it, Shang-Chi didn't dumb down any of that. Um, the CGI third act wasn't as bad as Black Panther. Um, it's still kind of there. Uh, and they did a nice job of, of tying into some past Marvel uh, MCU entries uh, I'll leave it at that but it I okay. thought it was very good
0: nice um, on your scale of where does it fall in the, the Marvel Ooh. movies
1: I think I give it an eight eight and a half all right out of all 10 right. all right
0: I'll um, get that but uh, we'll you bring up a, you bring up an interesting question that I actually asked on Twitter today um, subs or dubs do you prefer subtitles? Subtitles. subtitles. Oh, always, always, always subtitles. I actually had somebody say there's prefer, only been
2: like two shows that I've watched without subtitles Cowboy Bebop and Mob Psycho,
0: which they're they just recently launched the Twitter, uh, the, the uh, trailer mm-hmm. for on Netflix and the trailer for Sandman, which I'm I don't know how I feel. I'm excited because I like the comic Sandman and I've mm-hmm. listened to the audibles. If you haven't listened to them, I strongly, strongly recommend it phenomenally done great cast uh but in the comics uh dream or morpheus's eyes are completely black they're supposed to be like the sky at night and there's one single star in each eye now in the trailer he had regular eyes and i don't feel i know it's kind of a minor thing but it's part of who the character is And just to steer into this black abyss. And I don't know how I feel. I'm still excited. I'm still going to watch it. But I'm taking it with a little bit of a grain of salt because Netflix, I feel like, is a hit or miss when they come to things. Um, That's fair. um, Like, there's stuff that looks really good, but it it just turns into a flop. Um, I didn't like how they did Death Note. Even though I love William Defoe. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I think what they did was complete trash with that and uh so we'll see on, live on action note. anime
2: yeah i'm never hard. sure about live action
0: <laughs> the, what was the there was a, the one with the girl who's a like a robot and she has a alita big uh, alita yeah i alita. knew like that that was the best one that was a,
3: but that was a pet project for the director like he had been more like basically he'd, he'd put off making that movie until technology had caught up with his vision so like okay. that was something that was like all right like I you you know this wasn't just a cash grab this was like literally someone's dream project which I think is is where that difference came in
1: so and, and I keep hoping you... they'll make a sequel I mean they, they should it it was good I, enough to yeah was I was mean,
3: theoretically they're working oh. on one yes
1: um, right. I, I thought that, you know, because James Cameron was bankrolling all of that, he and Guillermo del Toro, they were they were basically bankrolling uh uh Battle Angel I was kind of hoping that they would shoot it back to back to back, just Lord of the Rings style. You know, in the same way that I also hoped that they would have shot Dune that way, instead of making Dune part one and then maybe making a part two. Oh, they're they totally would, making a part two. Oh, they two. have to make a part two or so alive.
2: <laughs>
3: ridiculous it depends on how much it makes i would assume right i know <laughs> but
2: that's gonna kill me if it doesn't make enough right people just don't go because of covid and... how about this we'll
0: go buy a bunch of tickets we'll rent out theaters ourselves Perfect. Sure there there's... yeah, we'll that, 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 that'll do it <laughs> I, I hope so
2: unite to save yes, dude. exactly
0: <laughs> for you moab deed <laughs> <laughs> sorry totally tangent on a tangent, not a tangent. Right. um but no i think i i how so? You said you're. I've never actually watched Cowboy Bebop, and I know there's going to be some gasps. gasps. Uh, I'm I'm picky when it comes to. I'm a connoisseur, or, or like I like to try different animes. Like Attack on Titan was an anime I watched. I'm um, actually my first. Well, my first one that I got passionate about, I'll say, uh was Death Note, and I did watch it dubbed. That was my first one, and it, it's not a bad one dubbed, but. I love One Punch. I loved uh, Tenchi. I loved Inuisha. There's a few. I actually never watched Cowboy. So as a fan of Cowboy, how do you feel about the Netflix uh, interpretation of it?
2: Um, I haven't seen it.
0: The trailer oh, yet?
2: Yeah, I haven't seen the trailer, oh, okay. trailer yet. Uh, so I'm not sure. I usually don't watch live action anime remakes i i love animation Mm. the style and some shows i just watch purely because of the way it's animated Mm. um like you mentioned one punch like Mm. and mob psycho is like that for me where it's like the animation oh my god um so yeah i don't i don't know i'll probably watch it because i'm home a lot and i watch a lot of netflix but
0: you're glutton for punishment
2: you know i don't know that i would (laughs) have super high expectations yeah we'll see because uh all the cowboy like movies mm. animated movies that they've made are are great so we'll see it's awesome so are, this are, is actually, are, 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 yeah,
1: are you ahead. watching star wars visions is it on yet yes they, Oh, no, they released I... they released 8 episodes last week and it's star wars stories made in the made in an anime or manga style yeah and I, each I... of them they're, they're very short you know most of them are 15 to 20 minutes and they're very short and self contained, and they're made by predominantly Asian filmmakers. So I was, and, and I, I am not a huge anime or manga fan. And this, the way that they're done is very different. So I'd like to hear from people who are whether they like Star Wars visions, because the people on my feed, who most of whom are Star Wars fans, the reaction is very mixed.
0: I, I'm gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to do an episode. And I've been planning on doing it for anime because even Warhammer TV has a bunch of. I don't consider that they are the the flavor of anime, but it's you can definitely tell it's like somebody who's a fan of anime did this and not a person who is like this is their profession. Like they this is what they went to school and did like like the the Japanese animation animes like they you can tell a lot of time and TLC was put into these, whereas you got a grad student freshman. Or, you know, in college, it's an artist doing the anime for the Warhammer TV ones. They're, they're not well done, which is heartbreaking for somebody who's a 40K fan. Um, their Blood Angel one is kind of cool, but it's, it's all CGI. But my problem is it's got that whole um, Sin City vibe where they picked certain colors and everything. They, you know, elaborate on that. And so they picked red. For the entire thing it's which is very frustrating because there's like crucial beautiful details that you're missing because they only want to focus on black and white and then red and it's it's kind of disheartening a little bit from a fan point of view um but speaking of netflix uh i just watched uh i just finished it and then we were kind of a little bit talking about it squid games uh Mm -hmm. which is a south korean I, psychological horror would we call it, could we consider it a psychological horror uh very it's awesome i like it i'm not gonna lie and since we're getting ready to get into halloween and october and everything this was i think this was a bit, great way to start off because that move that show oh and i watched it in, in subs because that, i you totally have to enjoy it that way um danny you've actually watched uh, almost all of it
2: Yes, I'm very that? close to the end. I love it. I feel like it's like um, Battle Royale meets Cabin in the Woods.
0: I was. Yeah, I can get behind that. I was thinking like Saw meets Hunger Games.
2: Yeah, oh, was, it's very hungry. Yeah, it's got a little like,
0: way more twisted. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, David, do you have any intentions on ever watching it? Or is it just like something? Probably. I don't know. Maybe not. So the selling point, what I could sell for you here is like, okay, these sell pe- it to me. all right. So these people all have like stupid amounts of debt. And I actually did the conversion rate. It's of like how much money and everything. Cause they're sitting there talking, like they'll say in billions and I'm like, how much? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Money conversion. So like they owe, we'll say around a million dollars a piece. These people, they are in like financial debt out the wazoo. And so like they give them a chance to make some money by like doing a slap contest. And they said, hey, if you really want this money, call this card and say this thing and we'll pick you up and you can really earn some money. And they go through one game and they get completely, like people die in front of them. And they said, all right, you don't want to do this. Everybody vote. They vote to get out. And like days later, all these people that voted to get out are still in that financial debt and say, you know what? Maybe the money's worth it. And volunteer to potentially die to win money and it's all kid games it's all games you used to play as or, or games similar to what you used to play as a kid like red light green light um okay they had like this uh, this bridge crossing one they played marbles they uh they mean, wasn't all-
1: that wasn't that basic premise kind of the the running man not not the Arnold schwarzenegger movie but the old stephen king story that there was a there, there was a game show where you know you had to survive for x amount of time um it's it, to, to to pay off and that's what it was it was it was about the start the 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 character in the book he was he was in debt and he was running for his life or something like that Could i be, mean yeah. is is that it's, basically uh, sounds similar I, don't,
0: I never saw that one okay or read the book um okay yeah no i my selection was stephen king like my problem with him is he was always lengthy with like his descriptions <laughs> on stuff so but yeah, um, Carl, you're pretty quiet over there, buddy. Yeah, I, well, so I, I haven't <laughs> seen
3: I haven't seen Squid Game, um, but uh, I have I've seen a, a bit of like kind of material on it. And, okay. and yeah, I definitely got some if you enjoyed that style of, of kind of filmmaking. If you haven't seen Battle Royale, um, definitely put that on your list. Uh, it's a, a kind of like seminal horror. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, uh, Hunger Games took a bunch of inspiration from it. Oh, like,
2: like the first book of Hunger Games is. Yeah. Like, is basically <laughs> Battle <Royale>. Yeah, it <laughs> is. <It's>, it
3: definitely, <laughs> uh, is, is a relevant pop culture, like, touchstone to watch. And you'll start noticing, cause it, like, yeah. you know, it was made, oh, I think it was 90s, 80s. I forget. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, really good, kind of old school. Yeah.
0: Um, um, I, we actually, I, I want to get into, you know, I, I love doing these tangents. However, I want to talk about what you guys here, not even, not even going on to what you guys do for unnatural 20 art, but what you guys in in general, Carl, you have a couple LVO trophies over there. You are quite the artist. And we were, we've been discussing that. We actually got into quite a tangent when we were first talking, Uh, but before actually before before I get into that, I should say how I found you guys. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I found these amazing people here on TikTok. It actually popped up in my algorithm. And it was, the video it was, was talking about how you're not sure if people would notice, but you're going that extra step for what you guys do in your art. And it was putting the little cloth behind your mimics mouse and everything, because that was the thing that popped in my thing because i am a huge fan of mimics and as i've told you guys i feel like if you're a DD player and you don't have ptsd from a mimic you're not playing this game properly like the basics should be giving you scares gelatinous cubes mimics and displacers like those those are like the top three scare and rust monsters like those those things should be giving you like just Shivers the entire time. Rust um, monster,
3: truly, truly the most frightening, <laughs> frightening uh monster in the entirety of DD. Uh really, <sighs> I mean, what is D other than a loot simulator? Uh, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. actually, it's funny. So I'm doing uh I have a bunch of so I'm a mailman when I'm not here, or a letter carrier uh is the, the term now. Um, but I got a bunch of guys, because the guys that work at the office, they know I'm a nerd. Uh and they go. And a bunch of them wanted to, to play D&D. They said, hey, can we play? And I was like, yeah, all right, we'll set it up. And these guys really aren't nerdy. Then one of them, I'm gonna get him on the show. He's got this hardcore Boston accent. It's the best thing in the world. He plays a dragonborn. So he's got this, just imagine a bipedal fire-breathing dragon with a Boston accent, like hardcore Southie Boston accent, it's great. Um, but they were getting into it and they, they really, we, they, we did a round two, we did a second round a session and they're going to continue. And it's great. And my brother-in-law came in for the second session. He was helping me set up some stuff. He's like, hey, can I play? And I said, yeah. And the thing he got out of it was not so much playing d d not so much the fantasy, the looting, the punching monsters, but rather the social experience he got out of it. The, the bond that he built with these people that he's never met before playing this silly game where it's all statistics and probability and improv. And he had, they, they, we played for four hours. And it was such an intense experience for me on what he thought about it, that I'm actually going to be doing an episode based on just talking to people about like, what is it that we get out of these silly, because it really is. It's, it's literally paper dice, statistics and probability, all these paper games. To where you guys have actually built a business off of this fan, this fandom of Dungeons and Dragons, and you play Carl, you play uh, 40k or Age of Sigmar, or at least you are in a phenomenal artist. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't emphasize enough: you got you really, really need to check out some of the stuff he's done. Uh, you've did some awesome Borderlands uh, inspira- inspired uh, display. Uh, should I? Can I talk about the uh, the idenith
3: Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So he used, uh, which I'm absolutely just envious of, this beautiful Idonath Deepkin model, uh, writing a gold a koi. Is it koi or a goldfish?
3: It's a it's a goldfish. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and how many hours did you spend painting this one?
3: Model? Uh, that one was, uh, I think, like fifteen or twenty. Um, it was a test model for that army. And
0: uh, are you going to continue it? it?
3: yeah so the uh the, the the theme of that is actually i'm doing a uh, like an underwater deep water deepkin so everything is going to be painted with um black light accents so it'll have black light paint uh on various places where you'd find bioluminescence on like deep sea creatures and i'm gonna have actually black lights incorporated into the display board
0: that You're insane
3: are like hidden in rocks and stuff so it'll like accent all of these things
0: Here and not to mention this you did the art style of borderlands on these necromunda right yeah yeah so uh, Tyranids,
3: yeah reverse engineered the borderlands art style and painted
0: it onto (laughs) miniatures about an inch tall uh you're absolutely insane good sir and and i mean this as the biggest compliment ever like truly you're an artist um so yeah let's kind of talk a little bit about you guys for a second here enough about with our tangents and what shows we've been watching and our fascinations with anime uh you guys have this very cool very unique uh business called unnatural 20 art studio uh and this is just the two of you right uh you guys make and create various things uh, like i said your mimics uh your cthulhu dice uh cthulhu skull dice which are really cool um and i'm just talking about how you have some other things down the line that you're working on um so kind of share a little bit about that with us if you don't mind like how did you guys get started absolutely danny you want to take this one
3: sure
2: well it started with the mimic box which you saw on tiktok and which a lot of our videos on tiktok uh feature the mimic box so early covid days mm-hmm. I'm at home and I'm doing a lot of crafting just to kind of fill the time and I made this one mimic box prototype and I thought oh, this could be like a cool gift for all of my um friends in my in the party that I play in and Carl saw it because I brought it into work to show it off and he convinced me that we should probably maybe do something more with this <laughs> like you could you could sell this you know so it's it's because of carl that it became an actual business
0: it's awesome
3: i tend How- to pursue the business side of of these kind of danny danny i would say is is definitely the main artist uh i i paint the stuff but like she does all the original sculptures and all the casting um mm-hmm. I just make it look pretty uh, <laughs> like the amount of detail and stuff that she's able to put into this stuff is, is absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, she brought this thing to work. I, I was like, we can absolutely sell these. Uh, we threw them on Kickstarter. We, I think raised about 30 grand on Kickstarter, uh, which you. is, it's pretty darn good seed money yeah, to no, uh, start a business. Phenomenal. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. So then we, we, t- it took us about six months uh, eight months realistically to fulfill that Kickstarter and kind of
0: get a bunch of other product lines out and uh, yeah <laughs> from start to finish one box now again you guys I'm sure have gotten a lot more proficient at it uh, so let's take the average how long does it take you start to finish to do one mimic
2: what did we say like three hours Uh, yeah, it, depending on the Two size
3: and a half? It, depending on the size it's like three to six um, okay yeah, uh, that's in not for, including
2: for, like, all the like startup time. Oh, like, yeah, because yeah. taking cuz I have to make new molds every 50 casts. Oh, so wow. every 50 boxes I have to make new molds.
3: Yeah, so Danny actually does um traditional mold making um, and traditional casting uh, which is is quite the process.
0: Yeah, uh, okay. can you uh educate me here a little bit? What is traditional molding and traditional casting entail? So,
2: I think that by traditional we just mean it's poured by hand it's not made by a machine okay. um so i hand sculpt in clay and then i pour silicone mold by hand mm. and i'll make a master we've actually uh, scanned and made masters with carl's 3d printer as well which was a smart move <laughs> yeah uh, and yeah we can get into that in a minute <laughs> why that's a smart business move um so and then The masters i just keep making new silicone molds for those and i cast in resin that's awesome so so
1: what's the advantage of casting in resin as opposed to 3d printing these in resin so much faster
3: yeah speed um you can so danny can crank out um just a resin the resin insert for the box once the mold is made and all all is said and done a resin insert takes maybe 20 minutes to produce at the most with uh traditional casting okay it's more like 10 well you know 20 including cleanup. yeah
2: just to cast it is 10 minutes apart
3: Um, whereas 3d printing at the detail that we are are producing you got to use a resin printer so you're already you're using resin um it's about a 20 hour print for the masters for these and then it's just not as durable. Like this, the resin that we're mm-hmm. using to make them is a lot more durable than the resin you can get out of a 3D, 3D printer.
1: So so the, the 10 or 20 minutes that you're t- saying it c- takes to cast that, does that include the cooling time? Or, or the, yeah. the, the, okay.
2: I'm using a really quick setting resin for, okay. for this particular product. I use different resins depending on what I'm casting. But for the mimic boxes, I use a very fast setting resin and there's a little bit of cleanup work sanding uh that's it's pretty fast so, and that's per part so there's three parts per okay.
1: box okay Th- that was my next question is how many pieces so you you cast this in three separate pieces and then assemble them mm-hmm. and is this an injection casting or as opposed to like rotocasting or some of the other techniques uh this is just poured okay straight up poured
3: yeah it's an open hollow
1: back open yeah okay
2: yeah
3: yeah we've got so we uh, we 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 may be approaching rotocasting here for one of our next yeah. projects uh mm-hmm. the okay. the next project we're doing is a lot larger um luckily these are all pretty small um they're okay. all fairly they're all fairly small so it's a it's a small enough part that you can actually do with this this one part mold and you don't need to rotocast it but yeah, the next project we're doing is uh a, a,
0: a, quite a bit
3: larger <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In-
2: <Yeah>.
0: so <laughs> Not that I'm complaining, because like I said, I love my mimics. Why mimics? Why not some other random insert d d or any fantasy monster? What made you go with mimics?
2: Why did I start with the mimics? Yeah. Um, I think because I just wanted some, I, I like functional art. Okay. Um, So it looks good enough to just put on display on a shelf mm-hmm. with its gaping mouth and like dice in it. Um, But it's functional, too. It's a storage box. So we're kind of trying to stay in that realm with everything that we're building, where it's, Mm. you know, tabletop gaming related. It's like dice related or storage related. It's like accessories, but it's good enough to put on display. And Mm. so I guess I just started with the mimic because I was like, well, it's already a box.
0: (laughs) That (laughs) works. So your next project should be a gelatinous cube uh, pencil holder. Right. Just let you know, Joe, you just stab pencils and pens into it. And if I need to grab it, hopefully it's not burnt out, you know. Uh,
2: you're, not the, you're not the only or the first person who's suggested gelatinous. Oh,
0: my God. i Of told, some kind. So. Would be, look, if you're able to make something like that and do it, let me know. I'm down. I'll, a little, I'll, like, I'll, he, I'll drink little like,
2: because Carl is an expert miniatures painter and has yes. a printer for yes, miniatures. And like, you know, a little armor.
0: Just float in the, yeah, just random things. (laughs) Actually, that would be really cool. I I would totally, and just just make sure you have little holes for pencils and pens to go in. And oh my God, that would be, and you got to do it like random angles too. Like where it's enough where its balanced end, where it's not going to go anywhere, but like at odd random angles that you can put the the pencils and pens in and everything. Look at this great teamwork here. I'm glad you're
3: on.
2: (laughs) New products already. (laughs) What's your,
3: what's your percentage,
0: you know, like, (laughs) Um. So, you also made and I really like them too. The your d20s, your your chunk Cthulhu skull dice and everything.
3: Yeah. So, how do you go
0: from D and D to like? I mean, well, it's not a hard transition, but you went from D and D to Cthulhu Mythos.
3: I I so. I, me and David both are big kind of like horror and sort of monster fans in general. We mm-hmm. both kind of have this background in theater and, and kind of production there. So uh, what you'll probably see in the future is just a lot of stuff that is, is is not necessarily D&D inspired, but very much monster inspired in general. So the Cthulhu skull was actually something that I took on. I digitally sculpted that thing. Um, rather than the traditional mold casting that we usually do. Mm. Uh, I, so I taught myself on a digital sculpt because I had a vision for what I wanted it to look like. And so, <laughs> um, so we, we digitally sculpted it. We three, I've got a resin printer. So we 3d printed those and then Danny made the traditional molds out of them. Um, but, we're again yeah we're both really big horror kind of like monster fans and so yeah we we all of our stuff kind of has this this sort of mix of of playfulness but a little bit dark um <laughs> so think like like little nightmares and and you yeah, know exactly. stuff like that where it's it's you've got this fun element but you have this just slightly dark tinged element that that kind of keeps um. it interesting
0: i'm not going to lie the i did get an audrey 2 vibe from your uh, sure. your yes Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like the mouth and the tongue and how you have it, it it definitely was Little Shop of Horrors vibe right there. But I was like, eh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. You know, I just I'm I'm definitely in that like I my favorite holiday is coming up. Um, I love uh, Halloween. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, so and I actually got my wife excited about it this year. Um, so we have like twin one year old old. Oh, well, they're about to be two. Holy crap, dude! They're about to be two. Um and i have a 10 year old and so the t- two year olds were dressing up as dragons and i'm making their uh their wagon into like a like a wooden looking wagon thing i'm putting like eva foam on it and doing it all up so she's going to be daenerys targaryen so this is the first year <laughs> she actually got excited about halloween because she gets to be the mother of dragons um yeah and that's awesome uh i'm i'm doing a yawn tea i got a great masks coming from uh cfx masks they do like their composite effects they do some amazing things i'm doing like this whole uh, costume i I got from like various places and cosplayed up i actually wore it for our last cosplay episode and it was it was cool um but i love halloween so that is my holiday and I'm, i'm excited especially for this month so when people get excited about halloween and stuff and like are all about the monsters it always makes for a fun day i i just absolutely enjoy it um you guys said in in some of your, your statements you guys are D players and you're both dms as well right yep. so as well as so in between how do you like i i ask this question because i get asked all the time how the hell do you find time to do this stuff <laughs> like
2: well, it's uh, easy to play. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Well, as <laughs> a DM, because <laughs> I'm I'm DMing a game where, like p- completely homebrew for David. We also have uh, two people: two uh, Nick's and uh, Pete from the UK, and we have Matthew from Australia. So we're literally doing international, oh, yeah. yeah, and working that in while doing a homebrew. And then my mo- I'm calling it Monsters and Mailmen. Uh, for my my mailman crew and I'm doing Curse of Stroud for them, because like that's one of the best ones to get into, and then doing this, then work, then twins, then Cub Scouts, and somewhat of a social life. I think I don't know. I think D and D is like my social life now. But like, how do you guys find time with making all this stuff and putting in the TLC that definitely you guys do with everything that I've seen that you guys have made?
3: I know for me, um, for the DMD stuff, uh, I, I, what I, I, and I, and I, Danny, and I kind of run our games a little differently. I'm very, I'm very loosey goosey. I'm very much see D and D as, as like structured improv, um, more so than, than like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it. Uh, so my, my, and I, and I, the, the aspect that I enjoy most is sort of like group world building. Um, I I kind of have enjoyed like Dungeons Daddies um, and like Adventure Zone as as kind of D D podcasts because they're a little less they're a little less crunchy um, they're a little less rules focused and they're more about kind of the story and so I've I run an entirely homebrew game kind of set in sort of a and cyberpunk world it's like a city that produces magic items um, nice. exclusively and like exports them and things like that so it's it's very fun nice. um, but I, 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 write, I only write um, one chapter kind of at a time, and I let player decisions and player choices and, and things like that affect kind of where that story ends up. Mm. Like I have an overarch and kind of where I'd like to see where things end up, but I very much, I'm, I'm like, all right, I've got a couple monsters picked out, you know, I've got a, I've got a couple of maps if I really need a map. Um, I have a couple of key characters that you guys are going to interact with, but I sort of keep it open world. Um, so it's, it's like they've, they've planned heists. Um, they've, you know, like, Hey, like I, you know, uh, I, I really want, uh, this, this thing to exist in this world. And I'm like, great. Like, let's put it on the map. Like, um, you know,
0: yeah. Uh, I, I feel what, like as one... a dm Yeah. Go for it. Oh, no, I was going to say, I feel like as a DM, it's almost impossible not to be able you have to improv. Like case in point, my group that's never played before, they're in a tavern because why not? That's where 95% of all D D things start is in a tavern. And the kids come running in from Curse of Strad, Thorn and Rose, and they're asking for help. And the cleric says, I want to punch the kids in the face. And I'm like, I'm this, I'm like, oh, sure, you can, but give me a reason why. And he's like, Well, one, they left their parents. Okay they're in the house of danger stuff okay uh they came to a bar it's a tavern sure why not though and he's like and they came up to a tiefling uh a dragonborn and two dwarves complete strangers and said hey come save my parents all right yeah go ahead you want to punch the kids punch the damn kids but you know there's going to be repercussions for your actions but it was it was even david over here i i had to improv almost an entire session three hour session because these guys just want to randomly do what they want to do i i I almost think that's a requirement at this point for my (laughs)
2: players don't like combat so they always try to get out of it and i will help them if they yeah i i will actually let their um social yeah, no, have I have I... more effect than they normally would in combat because that's not what they want. They want to build a story. They want to build characters. They want to talk to NPCs. Um, they do not enjoy combat. So I give them the ability to make their own way out. And they have, uh, I think the most surprising encounter was when they defeated a bunch of Mafite by hugging
1: them. It worked. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the overarching the overarching thing of D uh, and my experience in role-playing game is actions have consequences absolutely wh- wh- whatever that action is if that action is is diplomacy great and if that action is combat if if you punch that kid in the face if that's your first response to a kid running up to you there's gonna be you know the the that's what keeps the murder hobos in check um, and same thing with, with the diplomacy is, is that can be a greater reward and the out of an out of combat resolution to the same problem should, in my opinion, as, as a dungeon master myself should have the same reward as if you, as if they burn the village down.
0: Absolutely. Or, no, I detriment. I, I like it when players think outside the box, even for, from a DM's point of view, I love it when people come up with different things and when I have to improv, if I have to improv something i know it's a good session because it means they're thinking of something that i didn't wow. think of and it always makes for a more fun scenario right.
1: well and as a player sometimes it's it's your job to sow chaos into whatever plan your dungeon master made because you just like to mess with them um, is, is, is that a
0: hint david is is
1: is, is that something it's not a hint that's just a... fact i mean like i said I, <laughs> I, I i've been playing role-playing games since you were in diapers so you know yeah that's how it goes uh, so no, look, look, Danny Carl, Let me ask you this: just since we're talking about D and D, yeah, what, shoot. What was your first? Uh, what was your first edition? And what was your first character? I'm. J- I just like to ask people that.
2: Ooh. So, um, I've been playing for maybe five or six years, and uh, my first introduction was actually called Dungeon World. Okay. Which is like D and D Lite. It's like very, very simple and mostly role playing. Okay. Um, and my first character was a fighter and she was essentially me. Okay. She had, like my personality <laughs> but could punch through walls. <laughs> okay.
1: What what brought you to Dungeons and Dragons?
2: Uh it was my housemate at the time. Okay. Wanted to play and was like, "Hey, look, there's this like one guy I know from work who will play and he knows a DM and will you play with us? We would like more people in the party." So, and I listened in for one session. I was like, "Why? Yes, of course.
1: Like,
2: (laughs) why wouldn't I want to do this with my whole life?" And that's
1: pretty much what (laughs) it is now. And so, did did you start in fifth edition? Um. Yes. Okay. Okay. Carl, same question.
3: Yeah. So I actually started uh, with three point five. Um, okay. So yeah, very, very grainy, like really rules heavy. I'm really glad I did not have to DM in
1: 3.5 because yes.
3: I don't know how my DM did it, honestly. They had
1: a supercomputer.
3: Yeah, like I think he just had a supercomputer brain or something. But um, I played a, uh, it was a, a bar that ended up being a master of masks. So, uh, but again, the, this, this DM it kind of had a similar similar thing. Everything was homebrew um wasn't running any modules or anything like that uh and you know he, he was a big fan of of like heist movies and that sort of thing so like a lot of our our missions and things we kind of played a thieving crew um okay. and so very open-ended uh you know there's there's some combat and we had a battle map and some miniatures and all this jazz but uh that's kind of where I got my start and that was that's
2: funny that we're now playing a thieving crew oh yeah. I, yeah I play in one of carl's campaigns so yeah
3: so she's she's a player in in the uh the homebrew kind of cyberpunk like uh right. world, so
1: so in your in your how do you incorporate cyberpunk into into but it's essentially a medieval fantasy high magic setting
3: uh it's it's i kind of take themes from cyberpunk so in this setting it's there's uh you know a few kind of like corporations or companies that are producing these magic items and have okay. have have sort of uh, taken over the local law enforcement so to speak um so I, and like and i when i when we do kind of high-tech stuff it's it's kind of like steampunky sort of like uh i, I know there's an actual official D D setting for this but i don't remember right. what the name is but mm-hmm. um
2: Basically uh, like set dressing and skinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For so the most it's, part.
3: it's very much uh and, and guns. Th- yeah, and guns. <laughs> and so I, uh the other okay. thing I incorporated was was sort of I have this this central element of kind of like I really enjoy Borderlands as as a game and I enjoy the like the loot hoarding aspect. So I I give players a lot of magic items and like I have this little like item generator thing that they can buy things from like a slot machine. Um, that's awesome. Like, yeah, so there's a lot of little elements. Like I kind of like just picked and chose a bunch of stuff that 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 sounded like fun, and I've always wanted to see in d and D game, and I put it in mine because if I'm running it, I get to you know. Yeah, you're do God. Whatever want, right? Do whatever you want. <laughs> but yeah, as far as like incorporating cyberpunk themes, it's it's mostly that I'm incorporating kind of storyline themes um, into the 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 world and enemies and 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 character building and things like that. So it's like you know you don't necessarily know who the bad guys are. Uh, you don't necessarily know like what people's motivations are. Um, it's kind of, I kind of keep that sort of you know grainy detective element to it, where I, I usually have like planning sessions for, to allow people to kind of explore cities and, and do things. So um, it's very yeah, it's very thematically uh, cyberpunk rather than uh, like straight like sci-fi or anything like that. Okay. It's pretty
1: so, awesome. So how does how does your art factor into to your role-playing games or your tabletop gaming or, and vice versa? How does that figure into your art? And um, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, Man,
0: look at you uh, asking the killer questions uh,
3: over yeah. here. I know for, I know for me, my art is really heavily influenced by the the media that I consume and I'm, I'm sure it is with everyone. Um, and so like the bright colors and really high contrast stuff I pull from um, you know, I watch a lot of, uh, I watch a lot of animated stuff. Um, obviously I, I really enjoy like think you know, really high contrast, uh, games and, and kind of punchy colors and things like that for like Borderlands and stuff. But then I also watch a lot of horror. So that, that's kind of where that creepy element comes in for me. Um, I'm a big fan of like Bloodborne and, um, like the Souls games. Um, I'm a big fan of, of kind of like classic eighties horror and like slasher flicks and things like that. Um, and then, yeah. So that's kind of where that, that dark element comes in for me.
0: Have you played phasmophobia by any chance? I watch a lot of people play phasmophobia.
2: <laughs> I've watched somebody play all of yeah. phasmophobia. <laughs>
0: oh, that's, that's a game right there. Let me tell you what. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, and, and then you guys have a background in, in physical art and sculpture um, do you guys do any digital art? You know, I, you know, you talked, uh, Carl, you mentioned you have a 3D printer. So do you do your own modeling is, I mean, as a medium, that's been something that's come along in the last few years, few decades, you know, 20 years, all of your lifetimes, adult lifetimes. Um, but is, is that something that is is digital art where everything is going, even some of the physical things that we do, that people seem to be modeling it at a computer first, as opposed to just picking out a block of clay and starting just to carve something up?
3: Um, I think I think that we're actually kind of straddling the line. Um I know I I and I want to hear kind of Danny's opinion on this too, because I we've talked about it a little bit, but it's it's very much something we've got a hybrid process. I mean, Danny okay. does a very traditional sculpture. We scan it in. We do some stuff on the computer. Um, I am. I am. I'm really bad at clay. <laughs> I'm really. I'm pretty decent in in the computer as far as uh, digitally sculpting. But I like. I've. I, I've been trying to get better at clay. But who oh boy is it difficult. But I know. I know that for me, like you, just can't replicate a lot of the detail you can get from Clay as far as getting that handmade look.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
3: But I'm curious to hear what what danny has got. Cause I know that she's she's also kind of interested in this high, sort of hybrid process. Um, and it's also, it's been a great business decision as well.
2: So I feel the same way about it that I feel about um, CG in films. I think that some of the best results that you get are a combination of practical props and computer generated. Yes. And I, so I feel that same way about art and physical art is that it's, it's awesome to utilize all of the tools that you have without necessarily giving preference to one or, over the other to classic media over digital media. But if you can find ways to use both appropriately, okay. you can actually get really amazing results. So I happen to be a lot faster at sculpting in clay. Because I spent years and years and years training and doing it, I can do a little bit of digital, but I can't quite get like that feel like it was handmade. If I do the whole thing digitally, we will scan our stuff though. I mean, we're planning on scanning and making three uh, D printable versions of our art available at some point, point. and so we're using the technology, but we're not, you know, throwing one away. I don't think that we're ever going to throw away the classic mediums that are in this world in preference for digital. I think that maybe at first when something's hot and new and fresh and you're like, wow, look at this. I can print this at home, Um, make everything printed. You know, there's a lot of like hype over like the new thing but then you Mm -hmm. sort of fall into a rhythm where you you realize actually not everything is better if it's printed in resin. But it is great for this. So and so think, that's how I feel about it. A little bit I of both.
3: A, I think a perfect example of this is the the shift you see in in like movies and movie production. There was a very, very heavy shift in investment into CG, mm-hmm. um, kind of, you know early to 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 mid two thousands, two thousand and ten or whatever. And now we're seeing kind of this shift back. Into practical and and a mix of the two, essentially. You know, what do we talk about for for big movies? We talk about like Fury Road. Like ninety percent of that movie was practical effects. You know, um, you've got you know Nolan, who's that's all he does is is practical stuff. But like you know these big budget movies. I mean, Marvel's obviously a, a great uh, exception to the rule because Marvel can throw a bunch of money at a CG problem and and make it look amazing. Um, but I think that I think, yeah, I think just like in the movie industry, I think with the art industry, you're you're going to see this really heavy shift into 3D printing and digital art and and NFTs and all this stuff, because it's really important. But I think you'll start to see it's going to kind of work its way back into a sort of a hybrid mix of two and kind of picking out the best of
0: whatever tool you need to use. And piggybacking okay. off of what you just said there, it, I, I feel like there's certain i'm trying to think of the, how the best to say this but there's certain things you lose you 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 gain with using the the smoke and mirror methods there's like case in point uh they, they they've i think they've aged very well uh the lord of the rings movies like the way yeah. they did everything it was all illusion based like well, they, the- they didn't
1: fellowship of the ring had a lot of very practical effects but yeah. then as they and so did two towers but as you got into uh return of the king there was a lot of cgi in return of the king
0: well and, and, and part of that i'll say for this is because uh oh my gosh what's this uh orlando bloom he ended up like didn't he dislocate or do, injure his arm some way and they had well, to the, do the, some the, stuff Well,
1: you know they, they had just the the, the scale the scale of oh, Minas Tirith and the scale of the ride of the Rohirrim and the, the army of the dead and all that—they just couldn't replicate that, I don't think, in practical effects. Whereas mm. Fellowship of the Ring, uh, there I, there was some CGI, but there wasn't nearly as much because it was, you know, at the at the final battle there where, where Boromir dies. Spoiler alert! You know, it was it was the Fellowship and and you know fifty guys in orc costumes. Um, Okay, I I, I think you, you you think you guys are exactly right. I think we are. The, the, I think people are trying to find that balance between uh, computer generated and and practical effects. Now, let me also ask you. It, I, I I don't art. I I, I I just I just don't do that very well. So, how does someone get into an art career? I mean, do you, do you have do you, BFA or do you just do you have technical training or or how do you fall into that?
3: Um. Well, don't do what I did and go and get a mechanical engineering degree and then decide to be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> so pro tip. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my uh, that's my official background is I have I have a degree I have a mechanical engineering degree from Oregon State University. I got a, I did get a minor in fine arts. Um, OK, so I, I did have a little bit of official training. Uh, Danny's is much more the traditional like way to go about getting a career in art. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I, so I did major in fine arts and minored in mathematics, uh, but that's not to say that, I mean, college is not for everybody. And certainly if you're going into the arts, think about it. Um, and I would recommend to anybody who is thinking about, hey, I think I'm going to go to school for this art related thing. Take business classes for yeah. God's sake. I wish somebody had told me like, minor in business, you moron, your whole life is going to be selling yourself. So <laughs> I didn't True that. Story. No, that is. <laughs> I, I mean,
0: I, I, I major in, you know, marketing and I wanted to, because, and I chose that career just to take the business classes because you never know when you're going to be, you're going to have to, at minimum, you're going to learn some financial skills here. Mm-hmm. and setting yourself up for life no that is an absolute true story right there
2: yeah, yeah. pay taxes
1: and run payroll yeah Yeah. Absolutely. about
2: like 60% of your time as an artist especially if you're going into gallery or freelance is self-promotion yep. so you have to know how to market and advertise and I, I suck at it which is why Carl does it <laughs> Carl takes care That's of that. That's why I us. run the TikTok. I just uh, make things and he makes them popular. So so <laughs> I went into theater actually because I did not want to deal with trying to sell myself and get okay. into galleries. Um, I went the theater route and ended up in theater production, which I'm still in. Uh, Unnatural 20 is still kind of a startup side thing and quickly we'll see how much it absorbs my life and takes over and makes and draws me out of every other arena of my life that's an exciting
0: and scary time too because it's that transition from going when you guys go full-blown that's i didn't realize you guys not that it changes anything but you guys do amazing stuff and when you do make that transition that's that that pinnacle moment and that's pretty cool
3: yeah, my side was a little more forced of a transition. So uh, I'm full time for this company now. Cause so we were working together. We worked at a a, a theater studio, um, you know, making puppets and animatronics and and very very cool stuff. But yeah, COVID hit last year. All of the clientele disappeared basically overnight, uh, and they laid off oh, 70 or eighty percent of the shop, mm-hmm. all in one one go. <laughs> like yeah, so. Um, daddy's part of the skeleton crew that's back at the shop. Um, and I am, yeah, the skeleton, there you go. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I am, I am, I am doing this full time. So Good for you, man. it's, uh, yeah. So it was, a, it was, a, it, was a, it was a transition. It was a little bit of forced transition, but I, I at least I got to start the business while on unemployment. So that was nice. <laughs>
1: so, so as someone who's, a, a, uh, a self-employed artist, um, do you guys feel feel like you need to go on the is is a lot of your business business on the internet or do you go on the convention circuit or or what's what's the model is there a model or do you just
3: yeah throw a bunch
1: of stuff out there
3: yeah so um we we very we're very heavily focused on the online side right now and that's only that that's purely because out of it's almost purely out of necessity personally I think going to conventions and like talking to people and like all that stuff. We're both big into convention. I I love it. And if and if if COVID wasn't a thing, we would absolutely be doing it on a convention circuit like, you know, we'd be like there I'd, anyway. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. <laughs> exa- we'd be there anyway. Um but uh so now right now it is purely online and I think that honestly being online is a safer sort of bet. Like we're sort of we're sort of banking on the fact that like, hey, we can get pretty good and consistent sales and make cool stuff and like promote it online. And we've sort of proven ourselves at this point that we can exist solely online. So now it's like, we're gonna start adding in conventions and things like that, which now that we have sort of a very established baseline online presence, we can kind of branch out into conventions and in-person stuff. Like we, we literally, I dropped off our first stuff. I've got a local gaming store that stocks our stuff now. Dropped off our first batch uh this last weekend so now that we're able to actually these are very physical products like the stuff we make is very like hands-on i like handling it everyone you know like it's a very very much something that seeing in person is going to be way better than seeing online and personally i think that that's a way better way to 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 market stuff is seeing it in person but yeah i like online having as a baseline is a great business model for for anyone kind of looking to sell their stuff it's just you absolutely have to have the social media presence like pick a mm-hmm. pick a pick a social media channel plug it like do put put 50 to 60 percent of your day into making sure that that advertising and social media is on point because like without it i mean how are you going to sell stuff <laughs> That's true. yeah
2: nobody's going to sell your stuff if they don't see it yep. they don't know it exists
1: i just right. heard that on so,
2: tiktok not
1: too long ago so too. I, i've been looking at your website and and you have a shop on on the website there on Natural art on 20 art.com right so we'll, we'll plug you there anyway, but so Shameless do, plug. You, do you run your own shop or do you have a third party that handles that because i i know a lot of people that they go through oh, kickstarter man. or etsy and of course then etsy takes or ebay they take their yep. percentage and so but but you you sell everything in-house i
3: i taught myself um way too much stuff. I should've just hired someone, but <laughs> I I I'm the type of person I have a really hard time just handing things off to someone. Sure. So um yeah, I learned how to use WordPress and coded WordPress to make our website. Um I taught myself a bunch of I all of the business stuff that we do now I taught myself in the last year and a half. Um I didn't go to business school. I should have gone to business school. Um yeah, everything. Both everything... of us are
2: plugging the business classes for uh, yeah, right. the time. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> dab uh, it over
3: here, like yes. So, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, everything, everything. All our entire online presence is basically run by me
2: and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to say that we won't have. Uh, doesn't our our Etsy launch? Yeah, our to? Etsy.
3: Yeah, our Etsy. Actually, we're actually oh. so the nice part about Etsy, Etsy does take a percentage, but they advertise for you um Mm -hmm. so like you you kind of have to incorporate that advertising cost and the cost of your products essentially so and and being being an artist and not having an etsy is difficult um because a lot of people you know will will buy from etsy but maybe won't buy from a website um so having them both like drive drive your social media traffic to your website so you don't lose the percentage but like etsy having stuff on etsy having your stuff on etsy is is kind of a nice like secondary market and, and usually mm-hmm. it, it kind of will will attract different people so you definitely
2: yeah. want to have your own website shop space uh, no matter what because that's how you build a mailing list that's how you get repeat customers like you you'll get the advertising on Etsy but having your own website your own URL is
3: pretty important plus it looks cooler
2: <laughs> it looks a lot more professional when you have your own URL
3: yeah. Like, you pull up a website and like the video is like there, and you get a bunch of close up mm. pictures. Like, Etsy is great, but it's just not that exciting to look at.
2: Etsy is a wonderful place to start. Um, and I started on Etsy, I've sold I, I sold costume wings for years and years on Ooh. Etsy, but
3: to mm, very famous people in some cases didn't like
2: work at it that hard. It was always a side gig, so, so I didn't you're really a advertise it. Too? But. Yeah, I'm a, a of... costumer and a cosplayer. A
3: bit, oh, a bit, a bit. Okay, hold on, Danny. <laughs> I'll all have right. to send you
2: some photos. I guess. Let's, yeah. Let's be honest
3: with the audience and and, yeah. and tell us how how many costumes do you own and and how many of them are out and being worked on right now. I mean, because... I do have
2: an entire closet of costumes because I do I do like yeah all the fun people do. <laughs> so really? I have a larger costume closet than I have a normal clothing <laughs> closet. <laughs> Yes. Um, all I have are t-shirts and costumes.
1: So I do
2: like the Comic-Con stuff. So my favorite is probably Loop from the Adventure Zone or my steampunk Tinkerbell. Uh, but I also do a lot of pirating and okay. I go to a lot of balls. So like thematic balls, like oh. Harry Potter and Enchanted Forest and Vespertine and Vampire's Ball and such. So I go to a lot of thematic costuming events. I just have a community of friends that like to go to costume events. And so I find out about all of them on Facebook and that's awesome. Spend a lot of spare time <laughs> making costumes. and that's... yeah, I'm working on pirate stuff right now.
0: That's Nothing awesome. wrong with that. There's that's awesome. I... Yeah. We definitely have to see some, man, this is a heck of a team we got on here because David, I know, I don't know if you've seen any of his models, but he does, he does an amazing job. And if she, and if Danny is, if good, if as good, if not better at her cosplay, this is literally. I, I, I you guys are like, oh, I'm envious want, of you. I wanna know
1: more about your wings because I, I, like, yeah. I love wings. I, are, were yours actuated or feathered or, or what? What do you build? So,
2: I I have built actuated wings in the
1: past. They are usually not
2: worth building on commission. Okay. Um, most people don't wanna pay the how much work right. they involve. Uh, so, I have built them. I've built puppet style wings, like broad con- control operated large wings. But for the most part on Etsy, I was building small, made out of foam, mm-hmm. small costume wings.
0: Okay. How much was it? Uh, just out of curiosity, if you don't mind me asking, for wings that could actually come out, actuated wings, yeah. how much would that actually? How much does that cost
3: typically? And, and probably the number that it should cost, not necessarily yes, the number yes, the, 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 that the, you got yeah. paid. <laughs>
2: um, let's say well, you, right, I, I am the, the worst wings. at price. I'm the worst at pricing my stuff. But I could tell you that the last time that I built a set of um, like huge actuated wings, not like uh, pneumatic actuated, but mm-hmm. you know articulated wings, right. uh, there were pull, three, pull a cord and they were yeah. three grand. Okay. Um, and that that's was, fine. that was not enough because yeah. it, it took me, you just ended up eating your hours.
0: Um, I, I would, have, <laughs> I would argue that that's probably the, the, like three grand definitely sounds much on the cheaper side, but I put that to the equivalent of like, I used to do commission painting and what I would put into it and what I was making, I was making like $2 an hour if I was lucky
2: mm-hmm.
0: doing yeah. a model. And i'd be like okay i'm doing 150 models i charged we'll say a one grand and everybody's like that's awesome i'm like no that's crappy i i i'm pay- getting paid pennies on the dollar here. uh
3: as someone that does army commissions professionally yeah you should uh, not be making two dollars an hour <laughs> no no i, I, I that's cool. <laughs> that's
0: why i stopped because i was like and that's why I, I kind of took a break i burnt myself out from it that's yep. that's one of those that's things why i
2: stopped too yeah, I, I mean i don't sell wings anymore because it's just like
0: you're burnout you're you're burnt out from doing it and so i i love the sound of my voice and so apparently a few other people out there in the world do so that thus is why we have a podcast um that and i just like to get david on here and ask him random questions and watch him go on tangents
1: well i well i don't i don't take commissions i i don't i don't do cosplay for money i have a real job I, I have a job that pays all my bills. Oh. <laughs> like, he just all real Sorry. I I have a job where I sit in a cubicle. I sit in a cubicle in front of a computer, and that pays You're all my bills. I know. I know. That's me job. being a snob. That's He's an old an fart over there, there too. So, <laughs> and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have two liberal arts degrees. I have two history degrees. So that's even that's even more worthless than a fine arts <laughs> degree. Like because the only option is there. You either what are you going to do? Teach. But I, I, have a, I have a job where I sit in front of a, cube, a computer in a cubicle every day and that pays my bills because people ask me all the time, hey, will you build this for me? Will you do this? Like, no, no, I will help you build yours. I'll be more than happy to help you, but I am not doing it. I do have a price, but it has a lot of zeros on the end and no yeah. one wants to pay it because yeah. at that point, then cosplay would not be a hobby. It would become a job for me and I do not want right. my cosplay life to be a job. And that exactly
3: is, that is a really important distinction um yeah. that i'm finding that because i i have this i have this bad habit of monetizing my hobbies and <laughs> turning them into jobs so like i almost every hobby that i pick up which is a lot i do like film photography and like uh, just like i like drone racing for a while um like yeah i do way too much stuff anyway i have a habit of turning them into jobs and so you know warhammer has become kind of a job um you know art stuff has become kind of a job but it, the the yeah the trick is to have hobbies and to continue to have hobbies Absolutely. so because i'll be honest like there's days when i'd like drinking a glass of wine at lunch and i'm like this is not a real job what am i doing like <laughs> um but uh you know there's also other days where on hour 12 of making you know the 20th mimic box for that day and i'm just like all right now this feels like a really job okay i gotta like take a break and go do something else whatever that is for my hobby like you know i i play magic the gathering and i've been getting into like card altars and stuff like that and so like you know like it's it's really really important to have that disconnect so even as a professional artist mm-hmm. I have other things that I specifically like have delineated like I'm I cannot make money on this I probably could I could probably go and sell this or I could probably go and do this for money whatever but I got to make sure to like keep this separated so that uh I don't get
0: burned out <laughs> yeah that was going to be my next question for you guys like how do you like obviously you guys are very passionate about this and as a nerd fandom this is something that you you have to have that TLC into it and passion how do you keep yourself from burning out on this thing that you guys love and so yeah absolutely
2: well it's a little early so uh, I don't usually hit burnout until like five years into a a big project but my hope is that by the time I'm starting to feel sick of doing a certain production task I will hire somebody else to do it so that I can focus on new products new product creation design stuff that doesn't get boring the way that Making the same mimic box a thousand times, or making the same pair of wings a thousand times, does. So that is my plan for preventing burnout on unnatural twenty art.
3: And that's also the intention of kind of the companies. Is we plan on doing? We kind of. We, I really like the the. So like the business model that like like I hate I hate Supreme as a company, but I do like and I I enjoy appreciate their their business model of like, hey, we're gonna do this product for X amount of time and then it's no longer available. So our our plan is to follow that is, is once we start getting burned out on something, we're just not gonna produce it and we're gonna produce something else. It's very much like because we're the artists in, in control of kind of how this company is run and how everything is going. You know, I think we'll always have some mimic boxes available, but it's like there's going to be some months where like they just none of them get dropped because we're focused on a different project or something. So Mm -hmm. kind of taking it at one project at a time and and looking at ourselves and saying, all right, is this still fun for us to produce and saying hey, and and realizing that at some point it's not going to be. and, And at that point saying, all right, well, like, let's move on to this next project.
0: So. Now, do you guys have any projects in the woodwork you could talk to us about that give some hints about? Uh, yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> so
3: for me, I'm I've been getting into magic, so I'm I'm actually sculpting a a, a mimic deck box, um, because it's been requested a lot of times. And, I've already and know this, somebody's I, gonna want I, one. Yeah, as soon as people saw that I play magic, they're like, "Oh, are you gonna do a mimic deck box?" All right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then Danny, our our big that's gonna be kind of this like I think I'm gonna do a one off like maybe like a limited run of that because those will be three D printed and and painted and I actually found this super durable resin to print them in. I'm super excited about it. Danny is currently sculpting um, our next big big launch, which I'll, she'll tell you about.
2: Yeah, so we are working on monster themed dice towers. So the tower is the monster itself. And the first one was a Kraken. The second one to Dune fans Glee is a sandworm, although not exactly the same design as (laughs) the Dune sandworms. It's it's more like a a Graboid from Tremors, but- um, (laughs) Even better. Oh my God, (laughs) even better. Yeah, and I'm currently working on a dragon. And so we're hoping to have four to six uh, of these towers by early next year. So uh, and these prototypes are the hand sculpted for a Kickstarter. The, completely yeah. Hand so I'm sculpted. hand I'm hand sculpting them right now, and some of them are I've started to mold. And Excellent. so we're in like design prototyping phase.
3: And we're and also sculptures. so we're also kind of pursue for this Kickstarter this this digital kind of hybrid process. So we're actually going to take and scan these these hand sculpted versions and then make 3D printable versions is the plan. Um, so the Kickstarter will be if you want to the the, the yeah, hand sculpted we'll... and painted version, you can get it. But if you've got a three D printer and want to try it yourself, here's the files. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: yep. well, you
2: definitely benefit to, to the, benefit to the benefit to the hand sculpted and cast ones, though, is that you're going to get higher detail. Oh yeah, and I, that's yeah. one of the uh, kind of features of our products is uh, with Carl being a miniatures painter and I love detail in sculpture there's detail in every tiny little half centimeter it gives
3: me a whole lot of extra details to paint
2: you guys do you guys do (laughs) a lot of detail in your stuff and this
0: is like the the gums of the mimics
1: the yeah so the
2: mimic box is like think of that as like phase one uh, and now picture something twice as elaborate. Yeah, these I,
1: are I can't in wait. In I'm detail. excited. That's I'm what
2: the, sold. That's what I'm the towers sold. are.
3: Yeah, these dice towers are about twelve to fourteen inches and, and like they're big. They're yeah, they're awesome. like they're centerpiece, mm-hmm. like you set this out on the middle of
0: the table and you're gonna catch some attention.
2: You put I, this on your piano or your yeah. mantel
0: Oh, let I me mean, look at David over there. He's grinning like a kid. Oh,
1: I can't wait. I, I will be first in line. <laughs> no, you, you you mentioned that you know you you can't say Dune Sandworm, right? Because that right. invokes. Well, it hate. doesn't
2: look it doesn't look like a Dune Sandworm, right? But it is a
1: Sandworm. But because then lawyers get involved. Yep. I mean, as <clears throat> as content creators, how how do you straddle that? You know, um, you know, that that balance between you know you want to sell. Uh, something soldier 76 from overwatch but if you do say it outright then maybe you know blizzard lawyers get involved or 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 something like that how does that work luckily Luckily,
3: yeah go ahead danny
2: i was gonna say that i'm sticking to pretty like classic monsters and creatures not trademarked monsters and creatures and while i am influenced by all of the media that i have consumed i am not directly referencing Or copying anything. I am making stuff up as I go along. Yeah, my own design, you know. So we don't have to worry about it a whole lot. We did have to check on mimics. Okay. Weren't sure. Yeah. (laughs) So
3: wizard, what's I don't know if you if you've deep dived into this, but Wizards of the Coast is actually pretty cool when it comes to D and D fan content. They they actually have a they have a PDF document of basically stating. Here, here are our trademarks, things that we don't want you using in our fan yeah. content. It's And it's like, you know, Curse of Strahd and, and like, you know, they have a couple of very specific like names and phrases and things in their world that are copyrighted. And then they have a like a, the rest of the document is like, hey, here's stuff that you guys are welcome to use for whatever you want. And it's okay. like a list of monsters, it's stats, it's rules, it's, it's flavor text of of a lot of their classic stuff and a mimic is actually in that that document as hey you can use this for whatever you want but what a lot of people do is you know they'll make fan fan made like modules and that's why you see so many modules um that are able to be written for the d like the, the 5e edition is because wizard of the coast specifically has this document that says you are allowed to use all of this content for whatever you want yeah
0: um, when in, we were doing the, the yeah. stuff. Uh, when we were started doing the D and D podcast episodes, we I had to look into that, and I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I think one of the things is beholders. You can use beholders, but you can only use one. Like, they can't have multiple eyes of multiple things. Like, but you can just use them like for one, like right. an ice yeah. beholder or something like that.
3: So they have some uh, specific ones that you're not allowed to use. But yeah, yeah, they have a they they really do. And this is the first time, honestly, I've ever seen anything like that come from a company of like here's how we're handling fan art and everything fan related is here's this document that outlines everything you're allowed to do um when and it's it's very extensive because it's it's mostly permissive based it's just that it's 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 one paragraph of things you're not allowed to touch and that everything else is fair game for the most part so that, but that
1: seems very unusual you know very lit because we live in a very litigious society yeah and you and you know disney will slap a cd <laughs> i was about
0: to say give yeah. you know, disney time
1: <laughs> for, you know, for another, I, I, you know, there was a story several years ago when one of the G.I. Joe movies was coming out that people were cosplaying because they'd seen the trailer. They were cosplaying before the movie came out and people were walking around just hitting these cosplayers with C&Ds, like, yep. at the convention. It's and, insane. You know, why are you, you know, that, but that just seems counterintuitive. I, I understand you want to protect your properties, but at the same time, you know, you got to have fans. Sure.
3: So. Yeah. yeah, and, and luckily, you know, we're doing D&D stuff, which means that document comes into play. But the other thing is, is, is where everything we're kind of doing is 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 very loosely based on existing materials. So it's like, you know, yeah, we're, we've got a mimic, but it's like it doesn't really look exactly like the mimic out of the book. Um, you know, we're kind of putting our own spin on it. Like if you if you put the two and two next to each other, you're like, OK, this is they're both clearly the same monster. But like one is is totally different than the other. And so having that degree of separation does two things. One, it keeps us out of the, you know, legal battles because right. you can always, you can, um, uh, but two, it, it's just, it's way more, I, I would assume, you know, way more artistically fulfilling, uh, at least, especially for, for Danny's side where she's sculpting all of this stuff. Um, you know, copying the exact... Uh, you know thing out of the monster manual probably would would sell us more mimics but it's just not that exciting
2: <laughs> yeah i mean that's kind of how i feel about it yeah. Yeah.
0: okay that's awesome um so one last question for you guys um and this is actually for everybody because at the recording of this episode uh i think it was yesterday they just announced that they're doing an evolution in D d whether that's 5.5 or 6.0 uh what are you guys thoughts on that mm. yeah i did did you not hear about this
2: i did not hear about this
0: yes i found about it this morning i was like oh wow um i so me personally as a person who has played 40k and carl just, you're probably the same yeah, gonna say, yeah gonna, we're used say. to this this yeah. is like, this is this is nothing new for us uh but as a D player i look at this and go when was the last time an edition update was came out was what 10 11 years ago david you're old you would know this uh
1: it's not been that long um here here's here's a way to, to start a fight among any D players is ask hey what's the best edition of D?
0: oh no no i don't ask that question ever no that's <laughs> no absolutely um, not
1: some of it i mean some of it is a flagrant money grab because they want to sell more books. I mean, that's uh, their I,
0: business. Yeah. Yes. They got to make money. And, but here's the thing I can't say that's necessarily completely true with this because the amount of content they're putting out there and how the, the random like homebrews that are out there, it's well, there's hmm. enough campaign stuff. But, and my, here's my thing is the amount they've released source books wise and the amount of, new campaigns they've released and the fact that they have an alpha beta on earth arcana, they had to, at some point go, okay, maybe it's time to give a, a cleansing, a, a, a refresher, a revamp of the, the, the core rules and how they want to set them up because there's a ton of content out there. Like case in point, Tasha's cauldron alone. And uh, was it Ebron brought in? Well- Two new classes and a bunch of other stuff.
2: Well, but you then gotta they, use they, Unearthed Arcana if you're gonna play a ranger. Like you just
1: right. you have to. <laughs> well, but like they, they haven't touched Dragonlance in you know they haven't put out any Dragonlance RPG content for decades. I mean, but Fifth Edition came out in 2014, so it's been around for for seven years now. Is it? Uh, fourth Edition came out in 08, mm-hmm. um, and the thing with Fourth Edition was third edition only had only been around for eight years at that point and that and after all the years of of ad and d and and ad and d second edition you know third edition came out and third edition was better um than than ad and d uh but like like carl was saying i mean third edition was very it was very onerous on the dungeon master to keep track of a lot of things and if you're a dungeon master who had an eye for detail and could memorize the 80 or whatever rule books that they put out for it, you would be fine. But if you couldn't, 3rd edition and 3.5 was a nightmare. Um, and the 4th edition came out and everybody hated 4th edition. <laughs> uh, and I think 5th fifth, fifth incorporates a lot of the best parts of, of 3.5, but they got rid of the, super compu- the need for the supercomputer with the advantage-disadvantage mechanic um and and uh and i like fifth Dra- supposedly they're going to have a dragonlance some dragonlance content which is going to come out um uh, dragonlance was kind of my gateway into to to dnd uh in 1984 when i was in middle school and all of you were probably just being born
0: i wasn't um, born yet <laughs> Sorry, homie. I'm I'm 34.
1: Cause you're children, but but I mean, it it doesn't surprise me that they're going to be coming out with either 5.5 or version six, whatever they're calling it. And this article that I just brought up says it'll be out in 2024.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think they're going to be implementing because it's they're now. I feel like they're focusing a lot more on the. I don't want to say the minute they're focusing on the miniature side, but they're definitely. Per, they're promoting a lot more I mean case in point you can now buy bricks of miniatures uh, they've got a $400 Tiamat model coming out that is what two feet long and like two feet wide five headed dragon yeah, um, they've been I think they're really
3: they, pushing the miniatures for sure
0: I, and the warlock tiles which are, are awesome by the way but it's I feel like they have to implement more ruling maybe on how to utilize it or like how it coincides with the books instead of it being like, Hey, yeah, here they are. Have at it what you will. Um, I think they have to kind of take a, a, a thing from the the 40 K books a little bit here on that. Yeah. And that's just my personal opinion, because if I'm doing two scale things and okay, you know, it says this guy can go 25 feet and this guy can go 30 feet. And I have this 500 foot tall dragon here, you know, can he make well, it up?
1: Well, D D and D. I mean, when it go when you go back to ancient history, has its origins in chainmail, which mm-hmm. was t- with mm-hmm. two L's and an E on the end, yeah. which was a which was a tabletop war game.
0: It wasn't it like supposed to be. It was their thing for like basically Lord of the Rings, like paper version of Lord of the Rings army Probably. fights. I
1: mean, G- Gary Gygax. Yeah, that's yep. he's the, he's the father of that. But that's what they were. You know, there's that apocryphal story, which I don't know if is 100 percent true, but uh gary Gygax's wife thought he was having an affair and so she follows him one night and she bursts into a basement where he and his friends are pouring over a tabletop uh, playing this, this war game you know so and i guess he is having an affair just not with a woman it's with, you know <laughs> dice and miniatures on a, on, a, on a table um the first victim of plastic crack well but but i mean i it doesn't surprise like i said i think you know, the, the business, per- the cynical business person says in me says, oh, it's just a cash grab because everybody's now bought all of these books that are now 50 bucks a pop. Um, you know, that's not cheap. And, you know, after after 12, 13 years, well, if it's 2024, it'll be 10 years. After 10 years, they can get you to buy a whole new set of 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 books. And
3: from, from what I've heard, and this was this is the Reagan reading articles, I've heard that the new edition is backwards compatible. So, okay. theoretically, all of the books that you have now are ones you can use in this new edition. Whether that actually becomes the thing or not, yeah, who knows. Um, I totally agree that this is, uh, I, I mean, 40k guys are used to it. We get a, we get <laughs> this, is a, this, <laughs> this is like every, every two years, basically, every two to three years, a new edition comes out for 40k, and you got to buy... Like the old book is totally useless. You gotta buy a new rule book. You gotta buy a new book for everyone in your armies, uh, and generally you gotta buy some new accoutrements, like you know rulers or templates or whatever. So like, i have just as 40k players, we're like, all right, every three years I gotta spend 300 bucks on new books.
0: So, we're in a bad relationship, and we <laughs> yeah, know. it's an abuse. you know, like, <laughs> it sounds it's, just, it's
3: it's a little <laughs> bit abusive, but I I think the sentiment oh of is. of of like, hey, they're gonna probably turn this into a little more of a, a miniature wargaming. I think that is a that is a correct. I think I, that's I think that's what's actually happening. Yes, I, I think it just it
0: makes sense with how much they're they're because... how much they're
3: pushing them. Yeah, every time I go to a game store, they've got new miniatures out. They've got you know they've really been working on the packaging of those miniatures, the quality been, of them, and the quality is a lot better. Yeah, and then the, I mean even the giant like goblins that they were handing out to stores like less than a year ago or whatever. I think is yeah. I think you're totally right that they're pushing
0: uh it would it would make sense so that's why i'm thinking it's going to be like a five it's going to be 5.5 yeah, i don't 5. see 5. it 5. being a six with the way they're going right. and i think right. i'm a,
1: right well because 3.5 3.5 is a better game than three than three point than version three uh D third edition was and you know i don't know if you guys play pathfinder uh but a lot of people call pathfinder DD 3.75 um uh, you know, and, and I, if that's how they go, I'll be happy uh, because, you know, there is also people also have this big infrastructure. I mean, you know, between all the books, you know, people are paying monthly subscriptions to D&D Beyond or they've, they've bought the content online and, you know, no one wants to, to buy three, four, $500 worth of books and then have it suddenly be worthless when, when sixth edition comes out. and. Yep. You know Welcome that's a way to
3: I say, as, as I look at like four editions worth of old 40k books sitting on my shelf, that I've really just <laughs> oh, like, I literally it's... just need a dumpster to dumpster them. I keep them because it's got cool art in it, is what I tell myself, but really, I just can't bring myself to throw away <laughs> $400 big...
0: worth Allie. of books because I, it's, I, you know, I, I still uh... have my third edition Tyranid books. I yep. still, it's a toxic relationship with games workshop. Totally it, <laughs> it really is. It's
3: for game balance. It's definitely it's not a marketing thing to sell miniatures. Even, we definitely don't bit. nerf your, your, those miniatures and make other, the new brand new miniatures way better for marketing. It's for game balance. So, Come on. So,
0: so one last thing, like just bashing on games workshop. Did you see their thing about the, they they've 1 million customers bull crap thing that they put out? No, like they made one million. So this is their, this is, Such a scam. Oh my god, is it such a scam? They're one million online sale or some BS like that, and they're releasing a limited edition Space Marine sergeant, not lieutenant because they've gotten too much for the the uh, lieutenant. It's a sergeant standing on some necrons. Mm -hmm. But to get it, you have to spend $240 on their website. That's very standard. I like, I'm just Oh my god. Really? Yeah.
3: That's it, Games Games Workshop oh. loves. They love limited edition models that that come with rules so that like when you're at a tournament and you like it, yeah, it's Games it's, Workshop. I've really let's just say I'm really glad that I have a couple of stocks in Games Workshop because it's, it's, boy it's, howdy, are there business people like on point because uh, so yeah, they really know how to sell plastic <laughs> to, to to nerds.
0: So speaking of businesses, where can the fine people in the world of Nerd Nation find you guys?
3: Uh, our, our, we. So you can find us on... Uh, everything is uh, Unnatural20Art. Um, it's all one word. Um, you can find us on TikTok, uh, which is where you'll find most of our content. Uh, you can find us online at unnatural20art.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram at unnatural20art. Um, we've got even got a Facebook page. Um, and we'll have an Etsy page here. Uh, coming up pretty soon Uh, as far as products go uh, get on the mailing list because we kind of do product drops and they sell out pretty quick Um, we do have a product drop here coming up uh, October 1st I think is is when we're going to drop those so
2: yeah get on that list to know when you can get your own sandworm tower
3: yeah yeah because we've got yeah we've got the dice tower kickstarter coming out soon we've got some cool mimic pins that we're uh we just finished up a kickstarter for but yeah we've got some really cool stuff uh coming down the pipeline so keep an eye out and if you like if you like mini painting and magic and stuff yeah get on TikTok because uh i i I tend to post a lot of those little side projects as well awesome
1: awesome I'm, i'm waiting for the dragon tower
3: oh I, it's
0: so cool it's
1: i want the in sandworm process one. I mean,
2: I, I, i'm
0: excited about yeah. the uh the sandworm one i'm not gonna lie i'm actually sitting giddy over here like oh, I, uh, I
3: if you you know we might actually if you scroll down through our tiktok we've got a video
0: you'll find sandworm, a
2: little uh, teaser a little, little, of the sandworm worm in there
0: the, duly noted so. I, I mean i do stalk you on tiktok so I'll, yeah. i'm definitely gonna have to check that out then um so let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, as always, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are listening to us on Audible or Apple, please remember to rate and review. We so need those because they definitely help us out. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, so please like and follow us at DNA Pod and on Twitter at Nerd DNA Podcast, as well as Twitch Nerd DNA Podcast. Um, as always, I am. Your wonderful, loyal, and loving host, Steve Pugh. Joined with me as always is David, uh, Carl, and Danny. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'd love to have you guys on again, especially when you get ready to do your Kickstarters and stuff. Um, We'll always give you guys a shout out with that. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for spending your night with us. It's very much a late hour here for us. It's like 1130. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, uh, As always,